this entire left-wing movement is predicated on erasing racism, and all they do is generate racism. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Virtue Signal. I'm Bill Whittle with my friend Alfonso Rachel, and this is the show where we try to talk a little bit about the philosophy and the morality underneath some of today's uh, politics. Uh, so we, um, we did a right angle a couple days ago uh, talking about the death of Nichelle Nichols, who played uh, Lieutenant Uhura on Star Trek. And uh, I was a big fan of hers. And she, I, I said I think she was the most important person on the show. Martin Luther King personally basically begged her not to resign from the show after the first season because she was such an incredible example for so many people. Um, and and here's, here's kind of what I want to get at just to kind of follow through that. All of the, the social justice warriors out there today, all the teenagers and people in their 20s are convinced that um, that they're the ones who are, are fighting racism and, and essentially going to change America and all the rest of it. But what I've noticed since I've been aware and I wanted to get your take on it, is that it seemed that things were much better between uh, just in terms of general race relationships and just in terms of general feelings of, of animosity. In many cases, back in the 60s and 70s, even and, and, and even into the 80s, before, you know, critical race theory started to come along and, and you know, and, and Barack Obama and all the rest of it. I'll just give you like a couple of examples. And I, I just wanted to get your take on this. So... Um, the thing I like most about uh, about the way Uhura was treated in um, in Star Trek was there was never any mention about her being a black woman, about her being black or being a woman, with one exception, where they went to say, Abraham Lincoln comes on board the Enterprise and he says, oh, what a charming negress. And he says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. And she said, why would I be offended by a word? In our century, we've learned not to be offended by words. And I thought that was written in 1966, 67. Well, we've certainly learned to become offended by words since then. Mm. But but my my real question is, because I think that's pretty clear. And I just want to make sure that, the, you know, that there's no blind spots here. It's not like you have this magical view on it. I just wanted to get your take on it. One of my favorite things of all time ever, uh, and I watch it all the time on YouTube, especially when I'm feeling low, are the um, the Dean Martin celebrity roasts. And there's a comedian named Foster Brooks. Do you know him? He's the guy who plays the old drunk guy. Mm. <laughs> he's I think he's one of the three greatest comedians who ever lived. And when I look at the Dean Martin roasts, which were done in the mid to late 70s, I see unlike the the so-called new roasts where these people don't know anything about each other, they've never met each other, they're just they're just knife sticks, you know. Yeah. With, with the Dean Martin roast, you know, the people on stage were legends. They were legends, and they were the same people pretty much every time. It changed a little bit depending on who was being roasted, but they were regulars every time. And and when they would make jokes, they'd make a lot of jokes that they could never get away with making today. And it seemed to me that everybody was genuinely laughing. Uh, just as a quick example, uh, one episode, uh, Foster Brooks came out and said he was he always liked to be introduced as somebody who was, you know, the, the pilot of this guy or the doctor of this guy. So he came out and he was the personal trainer of Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali was being, um, was the man of the hour being roasted. And and one of the things Foster Brooks said was he had to completely change his diet, had to completely change the way he was eating. I had to get him to stop eating all kinds of things, collard greens, 
people laugh. He says, well, that's, that's what colored people eat. <laughs> right. And so everybody laughed. And, and I guess where I'm going with this is, do you think that they were actually laughing or do you think that because people today will tell you that that the that the people in minorities, not just blacks, but also, you know, they make fun of Hispanic, make fun of everybody, which I think is kind of the point. People today would argue, yes, they're laughing, but they're laughing just to get along. They're laughing, you know, through the tears kind of thing. Right. They're not they don't actually think this is funny. This is very hurtful to them. It doesn't seem that way to me. And. I just kind of wanted to talk about that because it just seems to me that things have gotten so much worse. It just seemed like, you know, in the, when I look back on day, all in the family, which is what really did change, you know, America really did. I was there. I was I was one of those people who got changed by it. I look at the things that they would say to each other. You can never say these things today. And I realized that it was the ability to joke about these things that made the difference. It actually made the change. Um. Well, there, there is some truth to it, man. And I've experienced it myself. There's been those moments where it's like, you know, you just kind of have to, um, you know, chuckle, you know, mm -hmm. just to go. I'll, I'll give you an example. I went to uh, I remember going to um, to see a stand up show and, and one of the and one of the comedians was a conservative and he had a song uh, called uh, My Niggles. Right. And I'm sitting in a room full of. Hollywood conservatives tapping her fan, you know, tapping her feet and clapping her hands to the song called My Niggles. And the song My Niggles was about a black person uh, who's basically he votes Republican. He doesn't dr he doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He does all the things that, you know, that proper white people do. And he does it because he wants to be white. Right. So I'm in this room listening to this person give this, you know, this stand up. And I guess in order to be seen as the non-threatening, non-angry black person, I had to sit there and I had to laugh and tap along and all that sort of stuff because I don't do any of these things and I don't smoke and I don't drink. Sure. And the, the, the irony of it was is that after him, there were two other white comedians and all they did was talk about smoking weed and how much they loved it. And I'm like, so I'm the guy who has to like sit and listen to this and go along with it even though I don't do these things, but I guess the reason why I'm doing it is because I guess I want to be white. I want to be his niggles. So yeah, there is a lot of truth. And I've, I've experienced that all my life where I've had to sit by and just kind of laugh as if that it's, it's, it's okay. And it doesn't really bother me. Um, but the, there, it's not, it's not in every case. And there are some things where it is just mean spirited. Some things are actually like the, like the, the, uh, the joke that you uh, had reiterated. That's actually kind of funny. Right. Yeah. That, that stuff doesn't bother me. But some some things are just mean spirited and they're just not based in any truth. And it promotes problems in the culture. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't have been tapping my feet along to a song called My Niggles. I can just tell you right now, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have found that funny at all, which kind of brings me to the point, I guess. Um, because when it's when it's genuinely funny and that and that colored person joke is not only funny, it's it's gentle. You know, it, it's 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 not it's not mean. He never did anything mean. Don Rickles, everything he did was mean, but he did mean things. But he did mean things to everybody. Yeah. Right. And so I, I was thinking about this uh, as a topic because uh, lately I've been listening to a lot of Bill Burr. 
And Bill Burr talks about the difference between men and women and the difference between black and white and so on a lot. And he and he doesn't pull any punches. And I think he's hilarious. And I think that when you talk about things like, you know, kind of smiling through my niggles, that that's just not funny. Right. That's so you're just being polite, essentially. I'm sure I would have, you know, I wouldn't have got, if it was a conservative stand-up thing, wouldn't gotten up and thrown a tomato at the guy, even if I'd wanted to. But, <laughs> but that's just not funny. But when it is genuinely funny, it seems to be um, a bridge. You know, the thing about now, the thing about Bill Burr is he he goes, he he can go right, he can touch it right in the quick. But you can tell that he's that he's being fair and that the things that he's talking about about the black people are genuinely funny and and so are the things he says about the white people and i've seen reaction videos i've seen which i like to watch a lot of actually seen reaction peoples of black black people who are watching bill burr for the first time and and at first they're kind of like okay you know where's this guy going with this and then and then they start laughing at it so i'm trying to i'm really trying to understand this dynamic because i think obviously there are like both elements of it when i look at when I look at things like the celebrity roast and I see somebody make a joke about a, a black person or a Puerto Rican or whatever, and and everybody on the dais is laughing, I really want to know from my own internal moral ballads whether they actually thought that was funny or not. I know that on the on the roast, I, the, the, I think the very best that um, that. Uh, that Foster Brooks ever was, was on the roast of um, Sammy Davis Jr. Hmm. And, um, and he, one of his jokes was he said, the, 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 the excitement you can generate in a crowd is unbelievable. There they sit, thousands of white people staring, staring at you intently, wondering if somebody from your entourage is rummaging through their room. <laughs> and, and Sammy Davis is slapping his knee laughing and, it looked genuine to me, but Sammy Davis Jr. is a, a professional actor. Mm. I think the thing about that, about the roast was that there, that there was nobody was protected, you know? I mean, like Dean Martin, for example, uh, <laughs> every time Foster Brooks would, would, would talk, he'd come up to the podium. It's really an episode about Foster Brooks, I guess. And, uh, and he would, and Dean Martin was always sitting right here on, on the right next to him. And, and, he would come out and he would, you know, Dean Martin would introduce him. And, and the first words out of Foster Brooks's mouth on one of them was, as the Puerto Rican gentleman just explained to you, you know, and, and Dean Martin would roll back and laugh or he would say, Dean, the last time the two of us were this close together, somebody stepped on my tongue. Because the joke about Dean Martin was he was just constantly drunk and he, he looked drunk on the, on the, on the roast. So I guess where I'm going with this is, that that this kind of humor can be not only uh, acceptable, but actually, I think, kind of healing and kind of tension releasing. Sure. If it's funny, if it's not mean, mm. and if it's fair, if it's fair, if, if you get the sense that, okay, everybody's being picked on here. And, and again, the difference between the Dean Martin roast and the current roast is you could tell that everybody on the Dean Martin roast loved each other. They loved each other, admired each other. They were legends. They'd worked together for 20, 30, 40 years on these current roasts, you know, uh, you know, um, Patton Oswalt comes out and says something about William Shatner, you know, something horrible. And they've never met each other and never will meet each other again. And so there was, there seemed to be a lot of affection there. 
Indeed, man. And, and when I when I give that story, it's not any uh, some sort of airing out dirty laundry or being a snitch or a tattletale. It's the kind of thing where it's like, be careful what you're doing, because these are the kind of things that invites the stigma into the culture. Mm-hmm. It's like you don't want to do that. Uh, it's, it's not worth it just so you can get a laugh. That laugh is going to come with a lot of problems. Um, speaking of Sammy Davis Jr., to give an idea of how he felt about it, there was a skit that he did on the Carol Burnett show, which kind of puts in perspective how he actually felt. And it was basically um, this kind of thing where Carol Burnett played, of course, this Southern Belle elitist. And to her, the problem, the, the, her perception, there wasn't a problem with, and you shouldn't have a problem with it. You should just simply know your place, mm-hmm. you know, and, and don't assume that we're equals. And I can go ahead and say whatever it is that I'm saying to you because I just have the privilege and the status to be able to do so. Right. And and Sammy just his character was always um, basically polite about it, you know, and bas- not not acquiescent to it. He let he by his body language, you could see that he had a problem with it, but right. just to maintain the peace and to be able to have a peaceful goodbye, despite she, her coming to visit him. That's just the way. To, so that kind of gives you an indicator of how Sammy Davis uh, Jr. kind of felt about it. Um, was there was there a point to that sketch? Was there a joke about it, or it, you know, it was more of a dramedy kind of sketch. It had its comedic moments, but it was more of uh, a, a dramatization of, "Hey, I know that you're, you're feeling like you're treating me as some sort of equal, as a favor to me, or something mm-hmm. that you're granting to me, where I can I'm allowed to maybe have a visitation with you and laugh with you and all that sort of stuff, but you're still assuming that." You're you're um you're allowing me into mm-hmm. your laughter space, you know. Um, so that was kind of like if anybody sees just you know maybe look up Sam, Sammy Davis Jr. with with a carabinet and and they probably see that skit. Um, I'll look for it now. But like I said, it doesn't mean that oh we can't have I'm, you know I'm not down with political correctness at all, but I do believe in a sense of cur- uh, cultural courtesies. Um, even Richard Pryor, like like speaking of uh, Nichelle Nichols, right? Mm-hmm. Now in that skit where Abraham Lincoln, the Abraham Lincoln figure addresses her as um, and, and a charming, and I, charming negress. A charming negress. Now, I remember the skit. I, don't, I remember it not really bothering me, but at the same time, it depends on what's the spelling. I don't know if he called her a negress as in N-E-G-R and then add the S on it as, as a feminine connotation, or if he's calling her a negress as in N-I-G-R-E-S. He called her a, a negress with an E. It was okay. the it was the it was the polite term for a female black person. Now and also, and and he's obviously a, a feature of almost mythological good, at least on that episode. Right. And he realizes that the term that he used, which he meant with respect, mm-hmm. could have been mis, misinterpreted. And she said, "Why would I get upset about a word?" Now, to th- what what that follows, what follows that if he's saying that spell with an E, there's no problem with that because. I, I myself am a Negro. Negro just means mm-hmm. black, right. right? In the romantic languages, that's what it means. Um, there's no problem with that. The problem now, from there, there is no controversy for for whatever time that it that it was in. Now, if it's if now, if we use the term spelled with an I, mm-hmm. you say the N word per se. Now, people would say like, you know, well, there should it's just a word and all that sort of stuff. Well, the, here's the thing. Um, the term, the N-word came with something behind it. It sure did. It, it, it came with the force of law. 
It, the N-word is basically a word that implies a stature specifically to black people. It was a lazy way of saying Negro. But we're going to mm -hmm. say, we're going to take the word Negro and we're going to turn it into this word, apply it to a people that we feel has no rights as a second class citizen. We have made it law to make you property. We've made it law where you cannot vote, you cannot hold office or anything. We have the force of the law behind that. So it's not such a word where it's an offensive word. It's a title bestowed of oppression. That's what it is. It was the law to be able to do this. So it's not, but now we use the word and I see people using the word as if they make money off of it and they do, right? And it's causing more problems in the culture than anything else. Even Richard Pryor himself, who used the word as if his respiratory system depended on it, <laughs> right? Even he came out and said, man, I ain't using that word anymore. There's yep. no redeeming value to it. And unfortunately, a lot of his audience didn't support him on that. You know, and as we can see, even people who idolize, you know, Richard Pryor uh, still say the word as if he and that's that's typical of people that should who do something really honorable and you besmirch what it is. Even even with Dr. Martin Luther King, you know, God bless uh, uh, Michelle Nichols, uh, but she brings up Martin Luther King. And, you know, it's something that she holds as something that's she's very proud of, if you will. And it's like, Michelle, did you actually even understand what Martin Luther King was fighting for? I mean, because Michelle was a lifelong Democrat. Martin yes. Luther King was fighting against Democrats. <laughs> the laws yes. that he was fighting was against even Malcolm X. You know, Malcolm X, you know, if, if he was when when he's saying any black people who put their support behind the Democrat Party, you're a political chump and a traitor to your race. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, Michelle, Malcolm X was talking to you. Right. So. This happened before the so-called party switch. Yeah, the party switch. And so, but like, uh, just, just to kind of, you know, bring that thought to a close, even with Nichelle Nichols, what she brought and what Martin Luther King saw in the role she plays, iconic and as important as he said. And the reasons like we're uh, uh, reflecting on is because it wasn't, hey, we're going to force this person into this role and you're going to acknowledge her because she's black and she's going to make it so on the nose and you have to acknowledge everything about it. It's like, no, you respected her because it wasn't thrown in your face. Precisely. Exactly, man. It's like, it's like, look, yeah, um, I'm in here because of my competency, the content of my character, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is that that's why I'm here. And it has no other bear, and, it, and it's not because I was pushed in here by affirmative action or anything like that. Right. I'm not on a starship, starship because of that. It's because I got skills, and I got character. It's all yeah, it. she's right? she's not the she's not the best black communications officer in Starfleet. She's the best communications officer in Starfleet, yes. and that's how how she was always treated. And when you were talking about the spelling of the word negress and stuff, it it occurred to me that if instead of bringing back Abraham Lincoln on that episode, they brought back Jefferson Davis, and he, and he'd spelled it with an I when mm -hmm. she walked past, a uh, Kirk would have would have said, "Get off of my ship." Yeah, right now, mm -hmm. and and that's. The part I think that is most interesting today politically is that is that this entire left wing movement is predicated on erasing racism and all they do is generate racism. Absolutely. And I and and I remember I remember I didn't really fully realize it at the time, but I remember my brain being rewired by Nichelle Nichols by All in the Family, you know, Lionel on All in the Family. He was, you know, Archie's this, is this giant bigot. 
<laughs> but but he's got a heart, right? And um, and and he's just constantly getting burned by Lionel. And Lionel's, you know, he, he was funny, and and it just kind of opened your eyes to things. The thing about Nichelle Nichols too is obviously when Martin Luther King says you're so important. I'm sure he was mostly referring to the fact that she was such a great role model for blacks. I, I, I've heard that Whoopi Goldberg said when she first appeared on Star Trek, her mom said, you got to come see this. There's a there's a black uh, woman on TV who's not a maid. Uh, and and I get that. But the other thing that Nichelle Nichols did was was she unshackled white people, you know, and not just white people, men as well, because she wasn't just a black uh, officer. She was a woman officer. And that was revolutionary in the day. And I just l looked at that. I look at the Dean Martin Rose and, and I think about all in the family and all three of those examples in the comment section in YouTube's in YouTube, you would see the same thing every time. You could never get away with saying that today. Things seem to be so much less sensitive then. People seem to be so much more uh, willing to to joke about others and themselves. People were a lot more actually genuinely tolerant then. And and when that line came up at the end of that, uh, uh, at the end of the right angle we did, where she says, "In our century, we've learned not to not to be afraid of words." And I thought, well. <laughs> In my century, we have, mm. and uh, and 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 those words that you just spoke were written in the last century. I, I just you know it's it's things like this that I want to make sure I've got like a clear view on things. You know, I I want to I want to know. I'm not saying that you know. I, that's why we talk about things and try and triangulate on the truth. But it's important to me to know that when Foster Books is making jokes about Sammy Davis Jr. and Sammy Davis Jr. is laughing his his ass off and slapping his knee and just crying with laughter. It's important for me to know whether that's real or not. You know, that's going to affect how I look at the whole transaction. Certainly seemed to be real. And and Sammy Davis Jr. Uh, uh, made an extremely famous appearance on uh, All in the Family as Sammy Davis Jr. And um, at the end of it, uh, somebody said we should get a picture. Sammy Davis Jr. is in our house. We're just regular working people. You know, we're just the Bunker family. So, and I think this was a surprise. I know it was a surprise to the audience. So at the very last frame, uh, Sammy's got his arm around Archie and the guy's got the camera. He says, okay, ready? Three, two, one. And on one, Sammy Davis turns over and kisses him right on the cheek. That's the photo, <laughs> right? And then he says, bye everybody. And he's out the door. And it's like, I remember... I remember watching that and and just thinking S Sammy Davis came into this guy's house and and this is a guy who's a cartoon racist as far as as far as the left was concerned and he walked out of there with the absolute victory you know and and when I say the victory not only did he get the best of Archie Bunker I you could tell it changed Archie Bunker's mind and all of this stuff seemed to happen when I was a kid and things just seem to get worse. And I don't like it. Now, now, just to close this episode up, there is no question, none, no question, that there was more systemic racism and sexism in the country in the 60s and 70s than there, than there are today. There's no question about that. But that was the time when the attitudes were changed. That was, that was where the fight was. And, um, and I, I look at, 
Nichelle Nichols and I look at everything from that period and I and I think to myself, gee, things were really better then. And and I want to be sure that I was right about that. Indeed, man. And you know, the, the thing is, words, they they do have weight. I mean, our career is kind of based on words. So they 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 have meaning. And words can either be meaningful constructively or destructively. We we can't just, you know, separate the two. That's just a natural fact of it. And, you know, or even the actions, you know, that take place. Like that, that, you know, the kiss between um Nichelle Nichols and Captain Kirk. Um, man, think of the implications of that, Bill. The the kiss between Nichelle and uh, uh between Uhura and Kirk was forced. That's right? right. They did that it. That was that was how they had that's how they got it on the air. Right. They had to make it look like it was against their will. Yes. And that is a total picture of what's being done to us now. This kind of stuff is being forced on us. We're being forced together into something. And it's not so much whether we want to do it or not. It's just under conditions that are not favorable. You don't force this kind of thing. It should be a, a, a natural thing. Now, the the, the kiss between um, Kirk and uh, and Uhura, even though in the 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 environment that the scene is in was forced, at the same time it wasn't something that was forced on the public either. In the way that they did it, it was so masterfully orchestrated where even mm-hmm. where they're being pushed together you're not yep. thinking oh my goodness i hope they don't kiss i hope they don't kiss it's like wow it's or at the same time it wasn't something oh i hope they kiss i hope they kiss it was just you're you're caught up in the scene of what it was you know whether exactly. you know not not necessarily against it but you weren't for it because you didn't like it that it was forced but you weren't against it either Right. Right. And the proof positive of that is just the way that was received in the culture. Now, jump to today where you have people trying to force this there and people are getting and and, and when we talk about systemic racism, Bill, that's exactly what's the, the systemic racism is still going on. And a part of the systemic racism to lead us into a race war is being done today because we have these kind of narratives that are shoved down our throat. The kiss right. is being forced. You can't right. see a commercial without there being like an uh, 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 international relationship, which I don't, have a right. pro- I don't have a problem. I'm, I'm, in a, I'm, I'm in an international marriage, right? I don't use the right. term race. I don't use it because it, it sets us in the mindset that we're supposed to be in competition with each other. We, we mm-hmm. represent different nations, mm-hmm. right? So Me too. Right? Exactly. You know, you're in an international relationship, just like I am. So, um, but the thing is, and it's being forced on us, it caused, in, in, in under the guise of tolerance, it's making us intolerant of each other people are getting sick of it it's like look why are you force feeding me this you know and and it, it's it gaslights an attitude against it a few years ago i tried to do a um a pilot you know for a show that i wanted to do called sinisterbia and it featured mm. uh, an international couple and it was just it wasn't this kind of thing where they're we're trying to push like some sort of social narrative my thing was is like conservatives let's get ahead of this Okay, because I'm telling you right now, I saw this years ago. I'm telling you right now, the Democrats are going to use this narrative and they're going to use it against you. And they're going to use it to promote a cultural and political narrative that is going to drive the cultural part. Let's get ahead of this and show that this is something that's just this is just everyday Americans, not something that, oh, look, at you're so woke and and you're so tolerant and you're and you're a pillar of 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 uh, this this woke 
uh, narrative and patting yourself on the back because you can handle being in an interracial relationship. Yeah. It, it wasn't that. So we were trying, we wanted to get ahead of that. But, you know, the shadow banning really did a number on it. So at any rate, like, to, to answer the question, Bill, is there any sort of formula or a way to get? No, everybody's going to be a little bit different. Somebody's going to receive it to one degree or another. There's it's but at the same time, it's not something that we should feel like we have to tiptoe around, you know, because, you know, we don't know who we're going to offend or anything like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that that ain't even a person, a, a problem with the person who's doing it. It's a, per, it's a problem with the person receiving it. And they're just upset about a whole bunch of other things. They ain't even about race. That's not even about their gender or anything like that. They're just emotionally damaged people and they need a reason to vent. And that's just what it comes down to. Yep. Um, I just wrap this up by saying you talk about the subtlety of that that kiss in Star Trek. They had to have them forced into it by telekinetic minds because mm-hmm. that's the only way they could possibly have got it on there. But the, the point that I think is important is there. Why were they resisting? Right. Why were they resisting? Kirk wasn't resisting because she was black. Kirk was resisting because she's a fellow officer. This is inappropriate. This is not this is not how professionals behave. That that was clearly the dynamic is that this is embarrassing to both of us, not because of the race issue, but because you're my captain and, and I'm your commanding officer and 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 this is not appropriate. And, and just really quick, sure. to Kirk, it don't matter. He's like white, green, no, black, green. He's all yeah. Remember Eddie Murphy? Oh my goodness. But before yeah. my uh uh <laughs> here, remember when Captain Kirk would go around the galaxy and he yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll just leave everybody with this. Uh, this is just a personal uh, reflection. Uh, we talked a, a little while ago about Richard Pryor. Who's, I think there's no doubt about him being the funniest guy who ever lived. And and Richard Pryor talked about things that really touched not only him, but touched everybody. And some of the things he said, you know, I'm sure some people could take umbrage at, but there was one line that, that Richard Pryor said that was so that I thought was extremely funny and at the same time revealed like this enormous truth to me. And I didn't particularly like the truth. And and here's the line. Uh, Richard was talking about him being on one of his drunk binges or cocaine fueled binges or whatever. He was he was co- completely drugged out of his mind. And, and he said he had a 357 Magnum and he went outside and he shot his car. And then he said, and the police were coming and I realized the police have 357 Magnums too, and they don't shoot cars. They shoot niggars. And and everybody laughed and 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 at the same time, you know, I remember thinking, wow, yeah, that's that's a side of the thing I didn't really see before. And I found that to be ten thousand times more effective than all the Black Lives Matter. Uh, propaganda put together, but that's just me. That'll do it for this edition of uh, The Virtue Signal Made Possible by You, by the members at BillWhittle.com. Um, we we love doing the show. We, we learn a lot, and it's always great for me to have a chance to talk with my buddy Alfonso Rachel. So until next time, uh, we'll see you right here on The Virtue Signal. Mm-hmm.